All right, those who are 4 to 12 years old, you can go to junior. All those 4 to 12. That was half of our church. It's good. The rest of us, you can see, we'll go to James 4 in our Bibles. I don't know about you, but in life, there's a lot of frustrating things. Some of the frustrations in life come whenever someone says, there's no solution. For instance, I had a guy come to my house this week and look at my refrigerator. Whenever you buy a house, you buy a large project, right? And so this large project sometimes has a lot of smaller projects, and one of those was a refrigerator that was leaking water inside the fridge from the ice maker or whatever. So I called a repair guy, and they come out, and they say, it's a bad fridge. <laughs> okay, it's, a, it's not a great model, it's not a great uh, make, and so this make you should just stay away from. So I paid the guy for no repairs, but I paid him for advice. He gave me good advice, and so we switched fridges out. I had a fridge in the basement that I brought from the parsonage, and... So when, they, when you have a, uh, something like that, or maybe you take your car to the shop and the repair guy says, it's not worth, your car is worth this amount of money and the repair is almost going to cost as much as your car is worth. Then you say, hmm, do I drive this car until it dies or do I say I can maybe try to sell it and get something for it? Uh, but you don't like to hear there's no real good solution. If you go to the doctor, and uh, maybe you are pre-diabetic and the doctor gives you one solution that you don't want to hear. Eat less sugar. Oh, no, everything that we like that tastes good is tastes good because there's sugar involved. And so uh, sometimes there's one, one solution uh, for a problem and that's, the, that's where we find ourselves today in James 4. Last week we looked at James 4 and there was one cause for conflict. What was that cause? We have passions that war inside of us. We are the problem. Our flesh is the problem of conflict. We didn't want to hear that. That's James 4.1. And now today we don't have a problem without a solution. God gives us one solution. Don't you like things that are simple? If the, if the repair guy, instead of coming to my house and saying, you've got one problem, and you've got one solution, and you're going to like this, it's a simple fix. Just thaw out the back of your fridge, turn up the temperature, which he said to try that first, but I said, it's a, it's a junk fridge, I'm just going to put it in the basement, and I'm going to put a better fridge up uh, where we're going to use all the time. So that was my solution. Um, but he said, you can try that first. So sometimes we have a simple solution. Um, and for James, he tells us there is one, we all have conflict around us, 
And what causes these conflict? He says, it's their passions, your desires that war inside of you, verse 1. And then he tells us how this looks in life, how it can grow and escalate, how it divides marriages, how it divides families, how it divides churches, how it divides workplaces, how it divides any group of people that can't get along or won't get along. But God has a solution, and God's solutions to conflict, God's solution to conflict is the best. You cannot argue with God. It's like telling the doctor, no, I am not pre-diabetic. Well, let's look at your numbers. Do you know how to take blood, your own blood, and look at that blood and then read and then give us? No, you don't know how to, most of us don't know how to do that. We have to rely on the wisdom of a doctor to do that for us. And we're, you're, you're a fool if you sit there in the doctor's office telling the doctor he doesn't know what he's talking about. If it's something simple like, yeah, your numbers are high with your blood and you are pre-diabetic or you're diabetic. You can argue all you want. That doesn't change the fact that your problem is you need less sugar. Well, for our study today in James 4, God gives us a problem of conflict. He tells us where it comes from, but he doesn't leave us there. He gives us the one solution, and the one solution is the five words at the beginning of verse 6. God gives more grace. That's it. All right, we can pray right now and go to coffee. Okay, The kids aren't even done practicing, so we're not going to do that. And you didn't come here to get that simple of a solution because James is going to explain this to us. What we lack when we have conflict is God's grace. And let's pray now before we start and ask God to show us how we get this grace, because it's available to all of us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how simple a conflict can be uh, identified and how it can be overcome. And I pray for grace for all of us, that we would learn to love one another as you have loved us, that by this all will know that we are your disciples if we have love one for another. And thank you so much for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may know Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith. God's grace is his power to overcome our sin, our natural bent to sin. None of us would be saved apart from God's grace. None of us would have a chance at being right with God or having a home in heaven unless God and his grace saved us. Let me give you a simple definition of grace. It's his power. That's what we need. And if you and I have conflict with other people and we say, there is no way I can be resolved with this person. And if we were to look closer at your, there's no way, it might be that I really don't want to be resolved with this person. I want to be an enemy or I want to look at them as, as my enemy the rest of my days and I'm fine with that. Or it might be, I have tried to talk to them and there is no way possible I can even live with this person any longer. And so separation, divorce is, an op is my only option. Or leaving this church is my only option. Or 
getting out of this house, if you're a teenager and you're thinking, I just got, my parents are just unbelievably hard. And I've talked to some of you that grew up in difficult homes. And you say, yeah, I had a really hard home life. So what's the solution? If you have to live in a home with someone who is unbelievably hard to live with, what's the solution? What do you do in a marriage when you're married to someone who is extremely proud and will not listen to reason? And their pride keeps causing, even if you're trying and trying, their pride is causing it to be almost impossible to live with them. Or you're in a workplace and tomorrow you are dreading going to work because you know conflict is all around you. You can't avoid it. It's just ugly. Yeah, when the customers are there, people put on a face. And when they leave, it is conflict after conflict. And every little thing causes greater conflict. What do we do? God knows where you live. God knows where you're in church today. God knows your spouse. God knows your parents. God knows your co-workers. God knows your extended family. God knows your in-laws. God knows all of the struggles that you and I have with other people. He knows it better than we do. He knows the cause of it, which we've learned last week, and he also knows the solution, which is this week. God doesn't give us a problem and say, okay, try your best. It's not like a doctor says, take two of these and it might help. I will guarantee you on the authority of God and on his character that James 4 works. It doesn't work for a few people. It works for all situations, all the time. I will guarantee it because God guarantees it. So God's solution to conflict. You and I have to realize that when we have conflict, it's our fault. I add to the conflict when I have strong desires that are not being met. I get mad when things don't go my way, and, and when I have um, hard days, I can lash out at the people that, that love me the most. And I am at fault. It's not my circumstances. It's my fault when I cause conflict, and when I cause conflict to grow around me, it's my fault. That's a humble thing to, to say, but that's where the solution begins. So God promises grace. Where uh, Romans 5 says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And if you have sin in you, if you have sin around you, that sin is going to cause the conflict to keep going and going and going and keep growing. But God has a solution. His solution is grace. And just like you may have a raging fire, but God's grace is the hose that can put any fire out. And I will guarantee it works every time, in every situation. God's solution to you and and my conflict, our conflict, is his grace. And in his grace, that is looks like wisdom. Okay, in this book that we are trying to find out how mature people, mature believers live. Mature believers understand conflict and they know the solution to conflict. And verse 6 says this, but God gives more grace. He gives more grace to us and grace is God's power to overcome our sinful passions. 
God's grace is his power to help us to realize that we are an adulterous people in verse 4. God's grace is his power to convince us that we are a friend of the world and we are an enemy of God. God's grace is his power to convince us that we have a life-giving spirit inside of us, our soul, and our soul was given to us by God to keep us in close fellowship with him. And when that's not the case, our God is not pleased and God gives us more grace to help us to make wise decisions. Every conflict needs more of God's grace. And you and I probably know of conflict. You say, I don't know how in the world these two people will ever get along. Okay, They need God's grace. And the two most unlikely people, and I've talked to a lot of people that are married, okay, and they say, I am so different than my spouse. How many of you that are married would say that I'm so different than my spouse? All of us who are honest, okay? We look at life totally different. What my kids cannot do when my wife is at home, I let them do, and vice versa. And I don't see why my wife can't agree with me. And she says the same thing. Like, why can't you see this is dangerous? I'm a dad. I think kids could have a little bit of danger in their life, and it'd be a good thing. Okay? But we have a solution when we can't agree with people. And we fight and quarrel, we lust, we covet, we contemplate murder. What is the solution? The solution is getting God's grace. Mature Christians have a constant flow of God's grace to them, through them, and to other people. And so it's really hard to start conflict with people who have a lot of God's grace. And these people that have a lot of God's grace, it's not a mystery here. It's, it's actually simple. Look at verse 6. It continues. God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, Proverbs 3.34 says this, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Parenting tip. This should be the first verse you teach your kids. First verse. Why? Because they won't appreciate John 3.16. Another, or they won't appreciate Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. They won't know how to do that. They won't understand why they need to be saved from their sin unless they realize this, that God opposes, resists, fights against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And my kids at two, three, four years old taught them little motions. Okay, here it is. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. I don't want, it. the more I know about God, I don't want an almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing God to do this to me. Right? We want this from an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-wise God. We don't want this. But if we won't humble ourselves, this is what we are getting from God. All the time. And it's simple. And the conflict continues and around us and in us, and we don't know what's wrong, we don't know how to fix it, and it's really simple. It's not rocket science. It's we are proud and we are right. They are wrong. Oh, no, no, no. 
No, go back to Matthew 7. Jesus said, all of our sin to us is a beam. All of other people's sin to us is a speck. If you forget that, go back to Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. And if we will look at our sin as a beam, even though it's you say it's minor compared to... No, we're not comparing it with other people. We're comparing it with Christ. And our sin compared to Christ is definitely a beam and needs to be eliminated. And God has a way to eliminate sin. He gives more grace. God opposes. He fights against. He resists. Some uh, say that it's a military term to surround and attack. It doesn't take God much as an almighty, everywhere present God to surround a little human being like me or you. And if you have conflict and your conflict is increasing and you don't think it's your fault, you don't think I have anything to do with this, I don't know how to resolve this, and I'm just going to avoid this person and not talk to them at all, Scripture has much to say to you, but here, what you need is more grace. You need more of God's power. And God will resist you if you're proud, but he will give you grace to the humble. This verse is so true for salvation. No one is saved by demanding that God save them. No one is saved by simply, and we may use this term, accepting Jesus as your Savior. That's good, but we have to define what that accepting Jesus as your Savior means. It means that I am humble before and sorry for all of my sin. That's what accepting Jesus, that's the gospel. We have to be thoroughly humble, and we're going to learn what thoroughly humble looks like in this passage, because it's not about being right. It's not about winning an argument. If you have that goal, you are so proud you can't see the pride. This is about being like Christ, and Christ was so humble. He perfectly had God's grace, and he was surrounded by conflict. Think about how much conflict was around Christ when he's on his way to the cross. When he's on the cross itself, how much conflict was around Christ? The... Uh, other people on the crosses next to him? Yeah, if you're the Messiah, take us off this cross. People down, uh, railing on him, saying, if you're the Christ, then come off and we'll believe you. I mean, he was surrounded. That's just the human element. There was demonic oppression all around causing conflict. You guarantee, I guarantee you that Satan was at the cross, tempting Christ to come down off the cross as well. Or just open your mouth, Christ, if you're the Christ, and just destroy all these people. He showed us what perfect humility was like. And if you and I struggle with pride, we need to keep going back to the cross. It's helped me over and over and over. When I have conflict with other people, I go back to the cross. Because God's solution is grace. And where do I find grace to help in time of need? I find it at the cross. We never can get too far from the cross as believers. It is the solution. So we've got to catch up with our notes. God's wisdom resolves all conflict. All conflict can be resolved if both people have grace from God. God's grace is available to all believers. God gives more grace. Whatever the sin, whatever the sin that's caused uh, is causing the conflict, whatever the pride is, 
God will give you more grace. But there's a promise here. God opposes the proud. God's grace is greater than any conflict, and God's grace is given to the humble alone. Proud people don't get God's grace. They don't get God's power. They don't get freedom from sin. They don't get help in time of need. They, their conflict increases. And as you guys come back in, we're in James 4 in our Bibles. Uh, James 4, and we're looking at verse 6. When our children go out for practicing, it's almost like your grandmother says, hey, there's something good cooking in the kitchen. Uh, just wait. There's something good cooking down the hall when our kids go out. And that's music that they all present at our Christmas program. So James 4 in our Bibles. And verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. For those of you, the kids that just came in, I want you to look up here, and I want you to uh, watch my hand motions. My kids know this. So all the kids look up here. I'll wait till I see all eyes up here. Most eyes. Okay, good. All right, so for all the kids and all the adults, you can do the hand motions with me, all right? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Ready? God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Let's do it one more time. God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. That's James 4, 6. That verse needs to be in your thinking all the time. Because if you're 6 years old, and if you're 66 years old, you're going to struggle with pride. If you're 86 years old, 96 years old, 106 years old, you're still going to struggle with pride. You never are going to get over your pride. But God's grace will help you to overcome your pride. And if you and I will humble ourselves, God will help us. And that's his grace. So God's grace is his power. So God's grace is available to all believers. It's greater than any conflict and is given to the humble alone. Those three things James 4, 6 teaches us, tells us that we have no conflict that cannot be resolved with enough of God's grace. If two people are fighting and they both claim to know God as their Savior, I'm going to ask them, when did you know Christ as your Savior? When did you come to know Christ? And if they give me a clear salvation testimony, I'm going to say, so you were saved whenever you humbled yourself and cried out for, for God to be merciful to you as a sinner. Yeah. So your salvation, if we were to look back at it, no matter how many years ago, it was a, the most humbling experience of your life. It should be yes. Because God humbles us to rely on him and cry out to Christ to save us. And then we have God's saving grace. But he expects us to walk in grace. And we do that by whatever that picture of wherever you were, whatever your position was. It may be crying, it may be on your knees, it may be on your face, it may be just be bowing your head, maybe in your car, wherever it was. It was the most humbling thing that you ever did in your life. You need to replicate that humility every day. And James 4, 6 will help remind us that we need this. We need to humble ourselves. Every day. We don't get saved every day. No, we get saved once. But the same humility that was present at, at the moment that we were saved is the same humility that should motivate us every day to cry out to God for grace. It's available. 
All believers have access to God's grace. All conflict can be resolved with God's grace. It's greater than our sin. And then God's grace is given to the humble alone. Proud people don't get God's grace. They get God's opposition. And the more we know about how mighty God is, we do not want him opposing us. Okay, we'll look at uh, application at the final slide. So verses 7 to 10. So now we have an explanation of God's grace given to the humble. So what does humility look like? Verses 7 to 10 gives us uh, a picture of what humility looks like. Verse 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Why is the therefore, therefore? It's there because it's explaining what humility looks like. Because we need God's grace to overcome all this conflict that's around us, that's in us, we need God's grace that will be helping us. How do we get that grace? How do, how do we show humility? Well, it starts with our posture, our position under God. We have in our, um, what we pledge allegiance in our country, one nation under God. Now our nation's trying to get that out of our Pledge of Allegiance to our country. But as Christians, we are one people under God. What's that mean? We willingly submit to God. What's submission? Putting yourself under someone so that whatever they say goes. Wives are supposed to submit to their husbands as the husband is the head of the body, okay? So when you get married, you have protection, ladies, uh, from your spouse. You have provision, but you also have a responsibility to whatever your husband says. You talk things through, and if he disagrees with you and it's not sin, then you say, okay, it's not a big deal. I'll, I'll willingly put myself under your authority. Children, if you're in a home and you're on, uh, and you're relying on your parents to feed you, to clothe you, to take you around to every practice and rehearsal, to take you to school, to bring you home, uh, to provide a warm house for you. You need to learn to submit to your parents. You're putting yourself under their authority. And every believer, at the moment of our salvation, we put ourselves under the cross of Christ, under the blood of Christ. That's how we were cleansed from all of our unrighteousness. So, submission... Humility that gives us access to God's grace. God gives us grace when we humble ourselves. Humility looks like submission. And God's wisdom and God's grace is going to maintain this peace and avoid conflict as we keep walking in humility. So a humble walk starts with our relationship with God, and the first way we humble ourselves is we submit ourselves to God. We submit ourselves to God and, verse 7 continues, and resisting the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 5 tells us whenever we, we let the sun go down on our wrath, whenever we're angry at someone, and Satan cannot read our minds, but he can definitely read whenever husband and wife are not getting along, parent-child not getting along, two people at work claim to be Christians cannot get along, People here at church are avoiding each other. They sit on this side, they sit on this side, and they don't talk to each other. They avoid each other when they go out to fellowship time, avoid each other in the parking lot, avoid each other altogether. If at all possible, do not even make eye contact because there's something wrong. And the conflict continues. Why does the conflict continue? Because you have passions at war in your soul. 
And God gives you grace to overcome those passions that are at war in your soul. But he won't give you grace unless you submit to God and resist the devil. And the devil is going to tempt you along the lines of your own passions. He'll say things like this, you deserve better. You deserve a better spouse. You deserve a better job. You deserve a better workplace. You deserve a better church. You deserve better parents. You deserve better kids. You deserve better grandparents. You deserve better in-laws. You deserve whatever. You can see how Satan is going to tempt you along the lines of your passions. So we can't blame Satan because he is enemy of God and enemy of the image bearers of God, humans. We can't say that he is the fault because God gives grace. It's available to us. We cannot blame Satan that I have to sin. No, you don't have to sin. But if you do sin, it's your fault. Why? Because you have grace available to you. And you can't blame God in James 1 because all sin is our fault. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. What makes sin attractive? Satan's going to tell you. Your heart's going to tell you. The world's going to tell you. You need this. You want this. And I told you about my passion last week. I'm not going to bring it up this week because it's not really a passion of mine. I have to keep that under submission. I have to resist temptation. And all of us have to resist temptation. How do we resist temptation? By submitting to God. By understanding how Satan is going to use our natural desires, whether we deserve something or whatever else lies that we can believe about God, um, we have to submit to God and say no to Satan. And, and how did Christ say no to Satan? With Scripture. You have to know God's Word. That's how we get wisdom at the end of James 3. That's also how we resist uh, temptation as we know Scripture. Don't try to fight Satan and your flesh without Scripture. And Scripture is sufficient to uh, fight against Satan. So submit to God. Put yourself under his authority. Whatever he says goes. How do, what's that look like? I get into God's word and say, God, I don't know how to resolve this conflict. I don't know how I'm supposed to treat enemies. God, show me how I'm supposed to love my enemy. I have no love for enemy in my heart. You won't find it in your heart. That's not where it's at. It's at, it's at the cross. That's where you'll find love for your enemies. It's at the cross. It's got, got where God's grace intersects with our lives and our conflict and can destroy our conflict and our passions that are at war inside of us. Submitting to God and resisting temptation. Do not follow your heart. Do not, whatever feels good, do it. That is a lie of Satan that the world is preaching to our kids and preaching to us. Don't listen to your heart. Don't, if it feels good, do it. That is, that is a wrong way to do it. If God says it's good, then you do it. Not if it feels good. Because conflict, revenge feels really good. Let me just tell you that. Because I've tried it. And you have all tried it. And it feels good at the moment, but it causes the conflict to continue. And it doesn't please God. And it's pride. And we're not getting any grace from God. So what does submitting to God and resisting temptation, I think the next three verses, 8, 9, and 10, give us more detail about what submission to God looks like. So the rest of this slide is going to be a sub-point of submitting to God and resisting temptation. How do we submit to God? Here's how. Verse 8. Okay, so I don't know how to submit to God. Okay, well, James gives us help. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Let's just stop there. 
You've heard this. You may have heard this. If you haven't, this is a good um, way to think about verse 8. You're as close to God as you want to be. Why? Because if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. How do we draw near to God? Well, that's part of our submission. Submission means I'm looking to God for help. Humility means I'm crying out to God. God, I I don't have any idea how to handle this conflict. I need your help. If you are inclined toward God, he will be inclined toward you. Look at Peter when he walked on the water. Only guy ever to walk on water besides Christ. And whenever he said, Lord, I'm sinking, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. He's like that. And you may be sinking in your conflict. All it takes to submit to God and the first step of humility toward him is say, I need God's help. And you're drawing near to God then. You open your Bible with a purpose of not to get it done and check it off and and click on the app. Yes, I got my daily Bible reading done. That's not drawing near to God. Drawing near to God is God, I need you. This is how we submit to God. This is how we resist temptation, by drawing near to God. And the promise is here in verse 8, and he will draw near to you. It doesn't say he might. It says he will. He's waiting for us in all of our conflict, in all of our pride, in all of our excuses. He's waiting for us to submit to him and say, God, I don't have any idea what I'm doing. I need you. And then he will draw near to us. So drawing near to God is when we are in conflict, and you may be in conflict for years with people, and you know things aren't right. You know you're far from God. The first step is submission to God is, Return to God. He is the solution to the problem. He has much to say about your conflict. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So return to God. When you get close to God, you'll find throughout Scripture, anyone who is close to God or God is close to people, physically close to them, like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, or Moses when he had to remove his sandals because he was on holy ground. There's this idea, whenever you are close to God, you're in the presence of perfect holiness, and you need to get rid of your sin. Psalm 24, actually, we could have read that, uh, but I'll let you look at Psalm 24 on your own. But it talks about who, who gets to come close to worshiping God, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's what Psalm 24 says, and James is going to draw from that and say, here's how you draw near to God. When you draw near to God, he's going to come near to you. And when you get close to God, your sin is going to look really bad. So there's two categories of sin in our lives. There's external sin, and typically it's done with our hands. could be our mouth, could be other things that we say we shouldn't say, things we do we shouldn't do, and things that we go we shouldn't go. Uh, But that's external sin, and that's going to be dealt with in cleansing our hands and then purifying your heart. This is our motives. Why do we have conflict, verse 1? Because these passions are at war. And we let those passions grow until we want things that are not we shouldn't have. And we're running over people and stepping over people and elbowing them and hitting them and trying to kill them if they won't give us what we really want. We need to return to God and then we need to cleanse. We need to be thoroughly cleansed. How do we get clean from our sin? 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, 
Our God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. All of our problem in the conflict. All of our selfishness. All of our continuing the conflict. All of that is forgiven, and that is part of God's grace. Whenever you and I were forgiven at the moment of salvation, there was a, a tremendous weight of sin off of us, a tremendous flood of grace into us, and thought, wow, I do not deserve this. This is so, this is the best feeling in the world. And whenever we get close to God, we return to Him, we experience a cleansing. From our sin, if we will confess our sin. This is all humility. This is what humility is in, in action. We purify our hearts. We don't want to serve the world and God, as it says in uh, verse 4. We don't want to uh, be true to ourselves and try to be true to God. No, we just want to be true to God. Our self needs to be denied. Our self needs to be, we need to die to self, Jesus says. We need to just live for Christ. That's it. We don't need to live for ourselves. We don't need to be true to ourselves. We don't need to listen to our heart. All that is lies of Satan that the world is preaching to us. We say all that is, is junk. We need to be thoroughly cleansed from within. So both our external sin, our hands need to be cleansed, and our internal, our heart, our motivation needs to be purified. We just need to serve God alone. And when we're close to God is when he will show us how we're not pleasing him. And as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And he then has the authority, because we've submitted to him, he has the authority as we open our Bibles to tell us what is wrong with us. And when he shows us what is wrong with us, we are agreeing with him and disagreeing with ourselves. That's extremely hard to do and extremely humbling to say, God, I was wrong, to allow this conflict to continue. And we're turning to God, we're experiencing the cleansing that God gives us. And look at verse 9. You will not hear verse 9 from the feel-good preachers of today. They will not tell you this. But this is biblical. So part of our repentance, as we get close to God, we're looking for sin, we're confessing sin. And as we look at how pure and perfect and holy our God is, and we're in his presence, and we love being there, verse 9 says, be wretched. That's the word miserable. How many times have you, or we could write a book, right? Be miserable. And how many people would buy it? Oh, yes, a Christian help book on being miserable. Yes, I want to be miserable. I'm already miserable. I don't want to be told to be miserable, but James says that. I want you to be miserable. Why does he say that? Because it's our pride that got us in this mess in the first place. It's our pride that's continued to keep us in this mess for however many weeks or months or years. And it's our pride that's causing our God to oppose us. So whenever we look at our pride, we say, wow, what a wretched person I am. And when John Newton wrote the first verse of Amazing Grace, his wife's Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a uh, wretch like me. His wife said, that's too strong of a word. And he said, not strong enough. To us, we are miserable and wretched. And until you and I agree with God, we're going to hold on to some of our self-worth, some of our self-esteem, 
some of our pride and we're not going to get the grace we need until we're willing to be wretched. We are not truly, fully repentant, submissive, or humble. So God tells us to repent. How does he tell us to repent? Mournfully. Jonah mourned because God didn't do to Nineveh what he wanted them to do. What Jonah should have done is mournfully repent for himself. He was a wretched man in his book. He probably wrote his book, and he doesn't look like a very good character in the book of Jonah. He repented mournfully. You look at the Pharisee and the publican. As they both go to the temple to pray, the Pharisee said, I'm so glad I'm not like this publican. I'm so glad here's all the good things I do for you, God. And he walks away feeling good about himself. And the publican or the tax collector, the wretched sinner who cheated people, was a liar, a thief. He couldn't even look up to heaven, just beat his breast saying, there's something wrong with me. And that is the picture of, of what we see here in, in verse 9. To be wretched and, what's it say in verse 9, continues, and mourn and weep. Think of yourself as a miserable, wretch, worthless person. Now we're on the path to humility. See, the world promotes laughter. There's a well-known comedian that died recently. I'll just tell you her name, Joan Rivers. And they tried for a little bit, it said, at her funeral to be serious until they started cracking jokes. Here's a lady, unless she repented, she's burning in hell. She wants, like the rich man in Lazarus' story, she wants everyone there to hear the gospel and to mourn, not for her, because the, her mourning is not going to change her eternal destiny. They, she doesn't want them to go where she is at. And how the world deals with conflict is, let's just go laugh it off. Let's just go do something so we forget about our problems. But you can do that all you want. You can watch a movie, you can eat chocolate, you can do whatever you want to forget your problems and your conflict, but they're still there. Those are legal ways, and they're illegal ways to deal with our conflict. And the world has tried, and is going to keep trying a lot more creative things, try to forget their problems. And your problems are there to show you that you're not right with God, or you're not right with other people. There's grace available. And if you don't want God and His grace, you're left to... Okay, try this, try this, try snorting this, try puffing this, try these techniques, try contemplating your nose and all kinds of crazy stuff that people are coming up with. You try to deal with stress and problems and conflict. And you won't hear, be wretched and mourn and weep. And that's what's necessary. Because whenever we are repenting mournfully and fully, that's whenever God looks at us and says, there is a humble Christian. There is a Christian who's not making excuses for their problems and their conflict, who's not blaming other people. They're taking full responsibility. They know their beam has whacked people from their eye, and they're not making excuses for it anymore. And they are wretched before me. They know they have caused it. They have given in to Satan's temptation. They believe the lies of the world. They believe that they are adulterers. Before God, in verse 4, 
They believe all this truth that I've told them. And now they're before me in God's presence, and they are wretched, miserable, mourning and weeping by choice. And verse 9 says, Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And we're not going to end here because this isn't where the passage ends. But if you don't go through verse 9, you don't really have full repentance. You have, you, we all want to come short of this. Yeah, I was wrong, but they also. Whenever you say, I was wrong, but they, or but you, you have negated your confession. You're trying to spread out some of the weight of your sin. No, you don't confess other people's sin. You confess yours and yours alone. And when we repent mournfully, we are so focused on how wretched we are and we just don't have time for laughing. We're not trying to medicate this away. We're not trying to eat this away. We're not trying to watch something of this away. We're allowing mourning to have its place. And our laughter is not appropriate here because it's causing us to try to forget or short-circuit this full repentance, this true humility that's leading us to Morning, and look at the end of verse 9, and your joy to gloom. There is full repentance here. God doesn't leave us flat on our faces, mourning and, uh, and, and wretched. He didn't leave John Newton there either, because John Newton had this song, Amazing Grace. He experienced the grace after he agreed with God that he was a wretch. We will experience the grace of God and freedom from conflict when we are wretches before God and others. It's our fault. We have caused it. We have added to it. We have not been Christ-like, and we need to repent. So verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord. This sounds like verse 7. Okay, so this is the book end of verses. That's why 7 to 10 is a is one point here. Humble yourselves before the Lord. What happens after you humble yourself? You choose to put yourself low. That's what humility is. Pride is thinking you're exalted. We don't exalt ourselves. What happens at the end of verse 10? Who exalts us? God does. We don't ever exalt ourselves. That's what boasting, we'll see boasting and boasting, boasting all throughout this book. We'll see it again in, at the end of chapter 4. But boasting is exalting yourself. I'm thinking I'm better than you. I'm looking down my nose at you. I'm whatever. That is not how we live as Christians. That's not how mature believers walk with God. God's wisdom, his grace resolves conflict. God's wisdom and grace maintains peace. We bow reverently before God and expect him to fully cleanse us. When he has fully cleansed us and we have fully mourned over our sin, then God raises us up off of our knees, off of our face, dries our tears, and then he exalts us. We have nothing to boast, though, about our exaltation out of slavery to sin, out of this conflict and the, and the, the peace that follows. And we're going to see, if you don't do this, what's going to happen in verses 11 and 12, which you read. We don't have time for that today. But we bow reverently before God 
and we may need to maintain this. This is maintenance. Okay, if you lose weight because you're diabetic or you say, the doctor says, hey, this might help you, uh, you're going to do this. But after you lose weight on an exercise program, you have to maintain it. Sometimes maintaining is hard. I've got to keep watching what I eat. So maintaining peace isn't something like, well, I got right with God yesterday, so I'm, I'm good to go. I got right with my spouse or my kids or my in-laws or my coworker last week, so I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to have to worry about this again. We like checklists, but we don't like maintenance. And maintenance requires daily things. So we're going to look at uh, some application then. God's wisdom requires my action. God is not going to force you to accept his grace. He's going to show you that you need it. He's going to say, I'm going to oppose you, but I have grace. Grace is available. But I'm not going to force you down on your knees. I'm not going to force your arm behind your back until you say, yes, I am wretched, I'm mourning, I'm weeping. No, it's not our God. He shows you that's where grace is found down on your knees when you're wretched, mourning, and weeping. When you're crying out to me. When you're agreeing that you have added to the conflict and you're repentant. So what is the action that's required? We're going to use uh, Ephesians 4, put off, renew our mind, and put on. We could also use uh, re, uh, repent or refocus, um, but to use some biblical words here, put off. What needs to be put off? The old man. What's the old man? How do, how do we put him off? We may start a prayer like this, God, I am proud when I did this, when I had this strong desire that wasn't being met, and I really tried to use people to meet this. I was proud. God, that's part of drawing near to God. That's how we submit to God. And then when I get off, off of my knees, having spent a time of confession, forsaking my sin before a holy God, then I go to my wife or I go to my kids or I go to my coworker, I go to somewhere else that I, someone else that I've offended by my sin. Hey, can I talk with you? If at all possible, do this in person. If not in person, then uh, FaceTime or Skype or over the phone. Uh, emails are really poor ways to, to apologize last, absolutely last resort, but I would never recommend email. It's impersonal. As personal as you can get. Honey, I'm proud when I said this to you. When I yelled at you, kids, I'm sorry that I said this. I'm a proud dad. And I've had to say that, and I, I will have to say that. God's wisdom. I'm, I'm expecting God's grace, though. And God's grace is available after my humility and probably during it to convince me that I need to be more humble than what I am. But I have to put off my pride. My passions have to be in check. I have to resist the devil and temptation. Second thing, I have to renew. I have to renew my mind. How, this passage helps us renew our mind to think differently about what, what causes conflict, how does it continue and grow, what's the solution. I renew my mind. How do I destroy conflict at the root? If my kids are in the back seat, Hey, that's mine. That's mine. No, it's mine. I had it first. I could be a judge and say, who had it first? Okay, give it back. Okay? That may be okay. That's not dealing with the root of the problem, though. Who had it first doesn't really matter. I just want, though, if I'm a parent, I just want peace and quiet when I'm riding in the van, right? But that's my own passion. So I'm going to parent improperly 
I have to find out the root. Maybe not there, but maybe when we're talking before bedtime or some other time and uh, just the two of us. Hey, do you know, remember when you were fighting with your brother or sister in the car? Yeah. You know why you were fighting? Well, I really wanted that. Do you, do you know why you really wanted that? And we're, we're learning from James 4, how to help other people. I have conflict because I have pride. If I can eliminate the pride, I've eliminated the conflict. If I can see, help my kids see as they get older, they can understand their conflict around them and with their siblings is caused by their pride. You want the biggest piece of cake. That's why you're fighting over it. You know what? It doesn't really matter if you have the biggest piece of cake or not. <gasps> no, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if you have that toy or who had it first. It does not really matter. Pleasing God really matters. Getting grace from God really matters. And that will happen after you agree with God. Identify the pride and selfishness. That's the real point of, of this passage, to help us identify the root. Destroy conflict at the root. And then what do we need to put on? Keep humbly fighting your sin by relying on his daily grace. God's grace uh, will sing, has kept us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. We constantly keep needing God's grace. Every time I step out in pride and think I deserve better than this, I demand better than this, people around me should be serving me better than this, I'm the king of my house, if I start thinking that way, I'm going to be not someone that you want to live with. If I think this way as a pastor, this is my church. These are my people. No, these are God's people. I'm merely an under-shepherd uh, helping you to keep our eyes fixed on, on God. We'll keep humbly fighting our sin, relying on God's daily grace. If we all did this as Christians, God would use us. And what will keep God from using us is us in our pride. But what will help God to use us as we get grace, and you're, if you have grace flowing through you, you're just enjoying your walk with God. You just, no one can have conflict with you because you're just so humble. Even if someone else is, you are right, and you, it's not a big deal. That's fine. And we just humbly fighting our sin, relying on God's grace. You know what? God's going to give you people to talk to that need his grace. He's going to help you to be a peacemaker. He's going to help you talk to people that need Christ. And they're at war with God and their flesh. And they, you have a platform on which to stand to use God to use you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your kindness toward us. Thank you for the grace that's available to us only through Christ and only after we're humble. I pray that you'd remind us of verse 6 constantly. Help us to memorize it as your people. And I pray that you would help us to choose to submit to you, choose to draw near to you, choose to be wretched and mourn and weep, Choose to be humble in your presence, expecting you to cleanse us, you to draw near to us, you to help us to resist uh, temptation, you to help us to keep being humble, and we expect you to exalt us. Help us uh, to be obedient children and walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.